Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Amy Prince. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week we are still in 1965 and we're looking at issue 62 of Brave and Bold. Starring Starman and Black Canary. This mm-hmm. was published on the 26th of August 1965 with a cover date of November 1965. PC, tell us about the cover. The cover has got a lovely clear blue sky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now that you mention it. <laughs> yes. It makes it easy one for uh, Murphy Anderson, who, the artist who did a um, decent job on it. It's not quite as dynamic as the Mist cover, I must no. admit. On the left-hand side of the cover, we have our heroes, Starman and Black Canary, and they are being attacked by the villains of this here story, uh, and that is Sportsmaster and the Huntress. Starman's in the air, and uh, he's being attacked by Sportsmaster, who's throwing uh, a jet ski, I don't mean like a something you go across water on, but an actual oh, ski that has a jet <laughs> on it, yeah, and he's throwing that at his face. It's quite a an ungainly looking Starman. It's yes. not the most fluid. No, it's true. Of them that it's, well, seen. in fairness, I don't think I would look very fluid if I was hitting the face with a ski yeah, with a jet in it. It's true. Uh, but yes, and also the Huntress is swinging in, and oh, she's kicking Black Canary in the stomach. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, not looking good for our heroes. In the bottom corner, uh, we have a little uh, scroll and uh, a spotlight on a character, and it says "Special Superstar Comeback." Wildcats! Yeah. So yes, we have the ton of Wildcat in this you issue. Know, I've just noticed the very lovely mountain range and the, the scudding clouds in the bottom left-hand corner. Yes. It's quite, it's quite charming. <laughs> quite a nice pleasant, pleasant detail. Because you, know, yeah. you could cover it up with your thumb and not notice it, but mm-hmm. then you see it. And, and obviously there's the detail there, the rocks, the, the cliff face that the Canary's standing on is sort of crumbling away. Even the Canary and Huntress don't look the best. It almost, almost looks like an interior panel that's been blown up. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot of text on the cover of this one. There certainly is. Like, which has been the Vogue recently. And it says... A sensational comic book first. The Sportsmaster and Huntress as Mr and Mrs Menace set sinister snares on their big superhero hunt. Mr and Mrs Menace. There you go. Ah, Menace is a lovely couple. Do, do, they have a, do they have a son called Dennis? <laughs> Who can say? So yeah, we should, we should, this is probably the best point to mention, the fact that the, this is Wildcat making his debut Silver Age appearance, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Huh? Wildcat, who first appeared in Sensation Comics issue one, same time as Mr. Terrific, in a comic that was published in November 1941, and he appeared all the way through to issue 90, which is an epic run compared to some of the other folk. Yes. So issue 90 was published in April 1949, so that's how it lasted quite a few of his contemporaries. And he's a character mm-hmm. that's still used quite a lot to this day. He made two appearances <clears throat> in All-Star Comics, um, issue 24, which was the issue that Mr. Terrific made a guest appearance, and then Wildcat was back in issue 27 as a full member of the JSA, and he appears in this issue of B&B, and he doesn't really go away. No, that's true. He's been one of the most enduring and one of the most visible Golden Age DC characters ever since because he turns up an awful lot of the, the GSA JLA team-ups mm-hmm. quite consistently and he's also featured quite strongly in All-Star Comics when that gets revived in the 70s. Yes. So we will see quite a bit of him going forward. And, and he's a favourite of Bob Haney's and Brave and Bold. That's well. right, yeah. He's, yes. We're going to see him in b and also he's one of the few remaining Golden Age originals that still pops up in the Justice Society of now when they mm-hmm. obviously when. JSA was revived in 1999. He was at the forefront with, with Alan Scott and Jay Garrick. It's nice that he still is popular. I quite like Wildcat. 
Yeah. You know, it's a great idea, you know. He's a boxer who gets into some trouble and then, you know, meets a kid who tells him about Green Lantern and that inspires him to take on the costume. And Pete's has a slight strange expression now that I've I've mentioned this because the kid the kid tells him about Green Lantern not from knowing Green Lantern but from reading his comic. Yes. And then uh, Ted thanks him. They say that's a great idea. You can hide your identity by dressing up and becoming a costumed hero. And he thanks the kid by giving him a dollar. And the kid then says, "Gosh, now I can buy Flash comics too." <laughs> Is this the first appearance of the multiverse in Sensation Comics one? It's possible because as we know, <laughs> what, what Peter is alluding to here, obviously, as we've said many times is when Barry Allen first talks about Jay Garrick, he talks about having read him in Flash comics. Mm-hmm. This suggests the fact that Wildcat and this little boy are talking about Green Lantern and the Flash as characters in comics. Does this mean this Wildcat is on a different Earth? Could he be on Earth 1? Mm-hmm. We're going to meet a Wildcat and a few Brave and Bold and a few JSA, JLA stories, and there's going to be a lot of debate about what's mm-hmm. actually what the heck's actually going on, but we'll get there. We don't yes. want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But for the meantime, he's on Earth 2. Yes, yes. let's, let's just assume that uh, comics were published yeah. on Earth 2 yes. about some of, the, <laughs> some of the mystery men of the time. <laughs> so yeah, this issue of Brave and Bold also brings back the Sportsmaster and the Huntress, they have a bit of a Golden Age pedigree as well. Sportsmaster first appeared in All-American Comics issue 85, published in March 1947, with a cover date of May 47, and he reappeared in issue 28 of Green Lantern, issue 98 of All-American, and issue 41 of All-Star Comics. And the Huntress, now, deep breath, first appeared in issue 8 of Sensation Comics, which was published in June 47, dated August 47. She then appeared in issues 69, 71, 73, 75, and 76, of Sensation Comics. Mm-hmm. Every one of those are Wildcat stories. So yes. She probably deserves a place in She's basically Wildcat's Catwoman Rogue. Wildcat. Yeah, yeah, Wildcat's Rogue Gallery. And then she was also in issue 41 of All-Star Comics, which is the case for the patriotic crimes when both her and the Sportsmaster were members of the Injustice Society. Do we remember when we all first encountered Wildcat? Ames, when did you first meet Wildcat? Uh, well, like I said last podcast session I was here, I don't really dabble in most of these kind of older comics, so... I want to shamefully say the Brave and the Bold cartoon series right. was the first time I saw him and the you know second time I saw him was in this comic I'm about to cool. read. Yeah. I think the first time I saw him was probably on the cover of, remember when Young All Stars was launched mm-hmm. and I had that half dozen covers that had you know a central image and then yeah. individual superheroes all arranged around it. I think that was the first time I saw Wildcat. I can't consciously think the first story I properly read that he was in yeah. because I think it was probably on the cover of an issue of Young All Stars. What about yourself? I think the first time I came across Wildcat was on the cover of an old issue of All-Star Comics, number 72, where he was being attacked by the Thorn. But the thing is, this wasn't my comic. This is my friend Eric's comic. All right. And I was round at his house, and I was so jealous because I'd never seen a Justice Society of America comic ever. And I thought, oh my goodness, how did you get that? I've seen plenty of Justice League, but I hadn't seen anything titled Justice Society. Uh, Ignored the fact that All-Star Comics at the top, because you know, I was young. Uh, so as far as I was concerned this is issue 72 of Justice Society of America and I thought where are the other 71 issues why have I never seen this (laughs) on the cover you've got Flash, Power Girl and Alan Scott Green Lantern in the background and you have the Thorn who's attacking Wildcat who's pretty much the forefront of the the cover but his costume's been terribly ripped by one of the Thorns Thorns. so yeah that's a great fun story from uh, 1978 so and again as I said I managed to read it while I was at Eric's Right. Uh, but did, you, did you 
hatch a plan to maybe try and blag it or to try and swap it for something else? No, I, I did offer a few things as a swapping member at the time. I can't remember what, but he was having none of it because, uh, you know, he saw how much I wanted it. So. <laughs> well, actually, Huntress is in the, in the shadows in the background as well. I hadn't noticed that. The Helena Wayne Huntress. Yes. And a different Huntress entirely. Well, she's way, way, way in the future, so yes. we don't want to muddy the waters too much, do we, at this point? So there we are. So, we move, as we move into the comic now, we have the, the traditional sort of opening splash image and this features the Starman and Black Canary logos at the top with Starman and Black Canary and Huntress and Sportsmaster all ranged up opposite each other with a big T-shaped text box in the middle which is a picture of Wildcat at the bottom and the text in the box reads Many years have slipped since the notorious Sportsmaster, the all-round athlete who used his extraordinary skills to commit crimes, has ventured out on one of his spectacular forays. Now, with the equally infamous Huntress as his mate, in crime as well as in life, the sports ace makes a sensational comeback with loot and lawmen as the prize targets. Providing the competition are Starman and Black Canary, terrific teammates themselves who call upon their remarkable resources to challenge their rivals with skill for skill, trick for trick, and trap for trap in... The, the Big Superhero, superhero Hunt! Hunt. Guest star Wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we have a little boxing story, Gardner Fox, art by Murphy Anderson. So into the story. And the opening panel is a bunch of folks. They seem to be assessing some statues of athletes in action. And the caption tells us An artistry of genius has shaped the wax mannequins at the annual sportsman's show in Federal City. The great Greek boxer Milo stands beside Discobolus, and beyond them is the marathon runner Pepides. And the people in the crowd are admiring these wax mannequins, and a lady in the crowd says, I never saw anything so real. And a man with a buzz cut says, They're absolutely lifelike. And then in the next panel, one of the waxen statues has started to move, and the caption says, Lifelike? How true! For even as admiring eyes stare upward at the discus thrower carved by Myron, the waxen image stirs. And we see the wax starting to crack around, the, rather awkwardly around the crotch area of the statue. <laughs> and one of the arms is moving and the wax is cracking. And a different lady in the crowd says, Oh, it's starting to move. And a different man with, with a little bit more hair says, Let's get out of here. And in the next panel, the wax is all fallen off and the figure stands revealed. The caption says, Discobolus stands erect. The wax of his arms and legs, chest and torso, cracks wide open to reveal a fisherman-garbed figure. Yet another lady in the crowd, she's obviously completely discombobulated because she screams, <coughs> And this masked fisherman says, Ha <laughs> ha! No need to shriek, my good ladies. I shall not harm you or anyone else who does not stand in my way of fishing for a prize catch. The caption for the next panel says, Outward flies a trout lure toward the famous Parker Trophy, awarded to the Outstanding Athlete of the Year. The trout rod bends and the reel whizzes. And the figure, let's just call him the Sportsmaster, because yeah, that's, that's who he is. Yeah. And the Sportsmaster says, Observe my perfect cast, folks. If you weren't so frightened, I'm sure you'd be applauding it. And we see that he's indeed flicking out the, the line from his fishing rod. There's a cup on a plinth in the background behind the crowd. The line is flipping it behind the crowd. That's obviously his target. For indeed, the caption for the next panel says, A hook snatches up the Parker Trophy. In response to the strong tug of the angler, the cup flies upward and across the room. And the white panel shows the, the cup flying through the air. As someone in the audience says, Why doesn't someone stop him? What's happened to the guards? 
So we now move to the top of page three. The caption says, A powerful hand tightens on the prize cup. Another hand sends the fly darting outward like the tongue of an asp. And the sportsmaster has turned to one of the statues and is casting his rod at him and he says, Stop me if you can. I welcome it. It'll give zest to my theft. And he thinks, Since I made all these wax figures here, I was able to gimmick them to serve my purposes. Caption of the next panel says, Touched by the flying trout lure, the wax tennis figure falls apart and the room is promptly blasted with flying tennis balls. And sure enough, yeah, the statue splits down the middle and there are dozens of tennis balls flying out. People in the crowd are all scattering and one gentleman says, Watch out! These things are hard! They can knock you out! Caption for the next panel says, As the guards race in, the fly rod bends again. There's another really good panel. We can see in the background the sportsmaster casting his line. There's another statue in front and he's saying, Ha ha! I haven't had so much fun since Green Lantern and I used to tangle in our frantic battles and I'm still full of the old mustard. And there's an editor's note at the bottom saying, Sports slang for fighting spirits. There you go, that's what old mustard means. Excellent. So yeah, there's some some guards and stuff running into the, the room at this point, as we see. And the next panel caption says, Another statue cracks wide open, and now the room becomes a deadly bowling alley as... And the guards are trying to dodge bowling balls, which is obviously what the other statue that he was just casting a line towards was containing. And yet another spectator says and observes, Not even the special operatives from the Larry Lance Detective Agency can stop that guy. We have a change of scenery now in the caption for the next panel says. Meanwhile, unaware of the goings-on in the room above them, the director of the sportsman's show is dining with Mrs. Larry Lance. And indeed we see Dinah Lance in a rather stunningly attractive backless deep red dress. Maybe it's almost burgundy actually. And Dinah sat at the table with Mr. Benson, who's the director of the sportsman's show. And Dinah is saying, Larry was wrapped up in an urgent case, Mr. Benson. So he asked for me to fill in for him. And Mr. Benson says, I assure you, Mrs. Lance, I'm more than satisfied with the substitution. Turn the page to page four. And the caption says, When they leisurely make their way to the show floor. And Mr. Benson and Dinah have made their way downstairs and they see the havoc and the commotion that's going on. The sportsmaster still standing in his dais and he's shrugging off his fisherman's gear. And Mr. Benson says, I never enjoyed a dinner so much and look, that fisherman has the Parker Trophy. And Dinah says, He was a fisherman. The caption for the next panel. Out of one sports costume into another, instead of trout boots, the sportsmaster switches to jet skis. And as the sportsmaster, he knows the cup hooked to his belt as he's putting his skis on. Dinah continues. Now he's a skier. And Mr. Benson says, Mrs. Lance, your men were hired to protect the Parker Trophy. You're in charge here. What are you going to do about it? And the caption of the next panel says, Those jet skis erupt with power that carries the athletic arch-criminal upwards toward a high window. And as he speeds off, jets up into the air, the sportsmaster is thinking, I'm the only costumed villain who masquerades in a uniform to suit the occasion. Here's where I take off in an uphill slalom. And Dinah is thinking, I'll do something all right, but not as Dinah Drake Lance. In a deserted lounge room of the Great Show Palace, she swiftly changes her garments with the ease of long practice. And as Dinah is in the process of getting changed, she is thinking, Now I'm all set to go as a black canary. Continued on second page following, so we have a Palisades amusement park advert and a model making thingy, and then top of page five. Not far away on his magnificent estate in Federal City, business tycoon and amateur astronomer Ted Starman Knight 
is surveying his recently completed gardens. It's a lovely panel with a great Murphy Anderson moon dominating the landscape. We yep. see Ted in a tuxedo looking very smart, standing at the bottom of the sort of little staircase looking out over his gardens. We can see an observatory in the distance, some trees. It's lovely, it's very peaceful. And Ted is thinking, Another of my pet hobbies fulfilled, to set up models of the great astronomical observatories of the world on my estate in settings appropriate to their location. Gee, Christ, Ted must have had more money than saints at this point. Here are scale duplicates of the observatory at Jaipur, India, Herschel's telescope, and the massive dome of Mount Palomar. Yep, and we see all these models, which obviously means that the observatory we saw in the first panel of this page was the, the Mount Palomar one, so that's quite interesting. So, Federal City. Has Federal City been mentioned before? Not that I'm aware of, no. Me neither. No. So, um, we're, still, we're waiting for the Opal. We're not going to get it, but yes, we're sure. waiting for Opal City. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we move to the bottom sequence of three panels at the bottom of page five. And the caption for the first one says... He pauses in his walk of inspection, and a slow smile creases his lips. Ted is walking alongside another one of his models. We can see the full moon again, and he's thinking. And the prize model of them all, a full-size reproduction of the Pekin Observatory, which I shall use for my own astronomical research. We cut to a very moody close-up, almost side close-up of Ted in the next panel. The caption says, Suddenly in the dark nights, a voice cries out, Help! I'm trapped! Oh! And Ted says, What in blazes? How did anyone get into Pekin Observatory? Caption for the next panel. He leaps forward right into a maze of interlocking corridors and high walls. You see Ted sprinting along and he's thinking, The Chinese built this observatory in the form of a maze. It's so complicated, I haven't learned my way about it yet. Well, I know how to lick that difficulty. We move to the top of page six. Next moment, his powerful hands throw off his evening garb to reveal the scarlet costume of Starman. Fantastic. And we see Ted, his suit is on the ground, he's discarding his shirt and he stands there now in his full Starman regalia and he thinks, If there's one thing I've learned in my double identity life, it's to be ready for Starman action at any time. Tremendous. The next panel shows him flying off. The caption says, His cosmic rod glows with the immense powers of the stars. From those distant suns, he draws the energies of which he is the master. And as Ted flies up now over the maze, again we see the moon in the background, it's, it's charming. He th Starman thinks to himself, As Starman, I am not earthbound. I can leap above these maze-like walls and locate the source of that cry. Indeed, so for the caption of the next panel, He hurtles downwards towards a barred cage at the heart of the great observatory, catching sight of the crumbled form of a costumed figure. And as Starman flies down towards the cage, he thinks, Good gosh, that distress call came from Wildcat, a one-time member of the Justice Society of America. And indeed we see Wildcat in the foreground of the panel, face down, obviously unconscious, looks like he's on a bed of straw. He drops toward the inert figure in the jungle cage, unaware that he in turn is being watched by a beautiful woman, crouched like the hunting tigress she resembles. The hunting tigress, that's very interesting, isn't it? Yes. And Young All-Stars, which is obviously after Princess Symphony Earth, it was revealed that Huntress used to be a slightly dodgy heroine called uh, Tigress right. before she turned to a life of crime, and she sported a very similar costume. Yeah, and uh, almost, I think the change, in, the change in name from Huntress to Tigress was probably because the Helena Wayne Huntress character was yes. introduced and was more identifiable to DC readers as a hero, probably, yes, wasn't absolutely, it? Yes. The main reason. Uh -huh. So the Huntress is hiding behind this wall as Starman drops down in front of the cage where Wildcat is, is unconscious, and the Huntress is thinking, Starman, I never expected him to show up when I set out to capture my long-time nemesis, Wildcat. But now I'm glad he did. 
the Huntress will have two superheroes to add to her collection. Suddenly, the mad thunder of beating wings interrupts Starman before he can free Wildcat. Starman is still in flight and he's basically being set upon by what looks like some falcons or eagles or hawks or something. And the Huntress is shouting, Go, my pets, bring me that man who flies above me. Starman is thinking, Hunting falcons, deadly birds of prey who can strike with beak and claw. To avoid these flying furies, the Astral Avenger rises upward, his sharp eyes scanning the starry firmaments. This is another gorgeous panel. Ted flies up into the bright starlit sky. The birds flying after him and Ted is thinking, I don't want to kill these birds, but I sure intend to scatter them. Ah, just what I've been looking for. A shooting star. That's handy. The caption of the next panel says, The cosmic rod pulses. Down from the ionosphere hurtles a blazing meteor drawn by the energies of the Star Scepter. And the big flaming mass is now being drawn down by the beam coming from the cosmic rod. We can still see the, the hawks flying towards Starman. And Starman is thinking, I'll shatter the meteor to tiny bits and send that fiery rain downward to drive those falcons away. And the caption for the next panel says, Quickly, the Huntress sends up another call. Bird-like cries that halt the panicky falcons in mid-flight. And indeed we see the birds start to fly away from the fragments of the meteor that are flying around. And the huntress in the foreground of the panel calls... So the caption for the next panel... Regrouping, the birds swoop to battle once again. But now, Starman summons down the powers of starlight itself, freezing it... Into great blue cubes. This, I mean, this is an incredible sequence of panels, it really is, because now Starman is firing the beam from his cosmic rod and he's basically frozen the birds in giant ice cubes. After the handy meteorite, I'm, I'm stunned. After him saying he didn't want to harm the birds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Grief. <laughs> and as, indeed, Ted is zapping the birds into their, you know, their frozen doom, he's thinking... That solidified energy stopped some of them, but the others fearlessly keep on coming. We move to the top of page 8 and the caption says, Once more his rod pulsates as he brings the aurora borealis from the polar regions of the north, interposing that multicoloured wall between himself and the predatory birds. I'm really impressed at the range from the cosmic rod here. Yeah, he's doing everything. You know, drawing down meteorites, freezing birds into blocks of ice, drawing down an aurora borealis. I don't remember Jack doing anything like that in the 90s. No, it's so much better than that gravity rod that he Yes, yeah, it's tremendous. Certainly been upgraded from the 60s. So there's lo- what we're seeing now is lovely bands of yellow and orange and sort of pink energy radiating over the over the hawks. And Starman is thinking, There, that'll hold them while I take off after whoever was giving those commands to attack me. And the caption for the next panel. Sensing that our specially trained falcons are no match for Starman, the Huntress is already in flight. And we see the Huntress swinging off on a rope. It's tied to a tree. But as the Huntress swings off, she is thinking, my time schedule's been knocked way off. I should be rendezvousing with the sports badster by now. Swiftly follows the Astral Avenger high above the countryside. So high is he, in fact, that he doesn't see another costumed figure land far below him. And this is another terrific panel. We see the sportsmaster in the, the process of taking off his skis as Ted is flying above him in the distance. Sportsmaster appears to be in a sort of vaguely sort of swampy sort of area. As he's taking off his skis, he thinks, Starman, what's he doing here? Huntress set out to bag Wildcat. His pulses drum out a wild saraband as he discovers... Sportsmaster taking off one of his skis, pulling back his arm as if he's going to throw it towards Starman, and as he's in the process of doing this, he thinks, ah, he's hurting the trail of the Huntress. I'll have to cool him off. He's obviously talking about Starman. And right at this panel, you can see the Huntress sweeping in on her line, 
Starman flies down towards her. And the next very dynamic panel shows the sportsmaster hurling his ski and he thinks, as an expert in every phase of sport, I'll call my skill as javelin thrower to knock Starman out of the sky. Over the page to page nine. Swiftly and with unerring accuracy speeds that slender ski. It cleaves the air so swiftly it whistles in its flight. And with a vroosh, it comes upon Starman, who hears it and obviously turns around and says, Eh? And then in the next panel, the caption says, The Rod Ranger turns, but too late to avoid the explosive impact of the ski missile. And with a wham, the ski collides with Starman's head. And he makes a very unfortunate expression. He's obviously been knocked out. Mm -hmm. The caption for the next panel says, A witness to that aerial attack is Black Canary as she bolts from her high-powered racing car. And this panel shows Canary leaping out of her car because she obviously followed Sportsmaster to get there. And in the background, against the moon, we see Starman falling down the ski behind him. Canary leaps out of the car and she thinks, Starman! Ski slams! How'd he get tangled up with the Sportsmaster? Caption for the next panel. Like a menard of ancient times, the blonde bombshell flings herself through the air. Sportsmaster turns as he sees Canary and he says, Black Canary, I never counted on you being involved in this caper. Why should all the surprises be on your side? Canary collides with the Sportsmaster with a crack sound effect as he falls backwards into some dead branches and trees. He says, Oof! And Black Canary says as she takes him down, I've stopped you for no gain, Sportsmaster. We move to the top of page 10. The caption says, Standing on straddled legs, she heaves her foe aloft and... Canary says, Now I'm going to knock you for a goal. Canary has lifted Sportsmaster up. She's twirling around her head. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And Sportsmaster cries, Yay! She's cut me in an airplane spin! She hurls him far through the air, twisting and turning helplessly. It's another fantastic panel. Canary hurls Sportsmaster up into the air. He's still got one of his skis on. He's <laughs> twisting and turning. Obviously, he's losing it. And Canary says, Score one from my side. The angry, panting girl gladiatrix does not see the bushes part behind her. Canary's standing with her hands on her hips, looking very pleased with herself, it must be said. But the huntress is emerging from the growth behind her. And she's thinking, Perfect. This has turned into a triple header. First Wildcat, then Starman, and now Black Canary to add to my prize collection of superheroes. And a tiny caption says, story continues on second page following. Uh, and before we go on, uh, I just want to say, when Starman gets hit by one of the skis from Sportsmaster, it does look like uh, the front cover when he's getting hit in the face oh, yes. with uh, Sportsmaster. Yep, Sportsmaster, yep. yep. absolutely, mm -hmm. very much. Right in that moment. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder if the cover's maybe just sort of representative rather than... Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. quite often, you know, a lot of the, the yeah. covers running about this time are almost like a, like I said earlier on, like a blown up version of an mm -hmm. interior panel, or probably vice versa, probably more accurate. Yeah. So I wonder if that means then we're going to see a bit very soon when Huntress swings in their line and knocks Canary off a cliff. Let's find out. We move to page 11. The, the Big, big Superhero hunt, hunt Part 2. two. <laughs> right. And as Huntress attacks Canary from behind, a caption says, Like the hunting tiger, which she closely resembles in her fur uniform, the Huntress hurls herself into the fray. A striped thunderbolt, she careens into Black Canary, carrying her forward, half-dazed by that terrific impact. And, trapped by his own ski, the sportsmaster is momentarily unable to lend an athletic hand to his partner in plunder. And as the huntress lunges forward, she says, Nobody can do that to my husband, Black Canary, especially you. And Black Canary, as she gets struck in the back, surprised, she's very surprised, she says, Your husband? Oh! 
obviously it takes down I'm surprised and then the sportsmaster rather amusingly his remaining ski is embedded in the ground and he's struggling to get up and he's saying blast this ski black canary threw me so hard she drove it deep into the ground pinned by the ski the sportsmaster can only be an observer as the blonde bombshell turns a somersault in midair so this is a great panel we see black canary leaping away from her as she's doing a somersault in midair um, Huntress lunging after her, Sportsmaster in the foreground, still trying to get up, and the Huntress is saying, You drew cards in this game, so you're going to get Grand Slammed. And the Sportsmaster says after that, I got to get free. Give my doll a hand. Then the caption of the next panel says, She comes out of that somersault hands first, using a springy tree branch to break her fall. This is great. It's a very long, low-growing tree branch, which Black Canary manages to grab with her hands as the Huntress chases after her. Black Canary thinking, now follow through with a backflip. We turn to top of page 12. The caption says, Her hands release their holds. Her body travels onward, leaving the springy branch to whip back into the Huntress. Indeed, Canary vaults into the air, flipping forward again. The branch whacks back and indeed hits Huntress in the stomach and she goes, Oof. Caption of the next panel. Landing cat-like on her feet, the girl gladiatrix whirls and plunges towards the breathless Huntress. And indeed Canary turns, runs back towards the Huntress, and Black Canary says, Here's where the Canary swallows a cat. And the Huntress is a bit out of breath. The caption for the next panel. At this critical point, the Sportsmaster intervenes with the ski that he has finally managed to free from the ground. Sportsmaster whips the ski forward as Canary starts to move, catching her in the shin. And he says... That upsets your plans, Black Canary. Caption for the next panel. Tripped off balance by that length of wood and metal, the Black Canary thuds hard into a tree bowl. And this is painful. It looks like Dan is basically going face first into this tree trunk. There's a massive thump caption. Sportsmaster says to Huntress, Come on, kidding. We've still got our work cut out for us. Huntress says, No, let's blast out of here. From a nearby sheltering cove, the Sportsmaster thrusts a jet-powered boat as the Huntress nimbly leaps aboard. And it's quite an attractive, very streamlined-looking orange motorboat with a big red fin at the back. And it looks like Danger Mouse's spaceship. It's crazy. Do you remember I Danger Mouse's spaceship? It looks just like it. It looks like Starman's helmet. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. With the red yeah. Fin, yeah. You know, I, now that you mention that, it reminds me of the equipment used by the Starman in 1951 in oh, the, yes. the Starman story from the 90s. And in our Starman of the Silver Age. Yeah, it does look very Starman, you're right. So the Sportsmaster says as Huntress climbs aboard, Didn't you have any confidence in me, baby? I could have handled Black Canary. And Huntress says as she climbs aboard, Maybe you could, but don't forget Starman. He might have come too and joined the fight. And we weren't prepared for that. Top of page 13, they vroosh off in their boat, the caption says. The jet power boat gathers speed, standing out across the lake. And the huntress says. And anyway, I got my trophy, Wildcat. How'd you do, honey? Have a look at the Parker trophy. The next panel. Again, we should really mention again, there's another moon in this yes. panel. That Murphy loves his moon. Murphy does love his moon, yeah. doesn't he? It's always a full moon in a Murphy Anderson. Yeah. We had this crime only happens, you know, in a couple of days a month. Yeah. In Murphy Anderson. I wonder, if, I wonder if this is simultaneous to the events of Showcase Fifty Five. Maybe it's the <laughs> Can same full moon. Can you imagine? Terrific. So the next panel shows Sportsmaster and the Huntress all snuggled up in the the cockpit of their boat as they're speeding along. And Sportsmaster, we should probably say now he's wearing a sort of sailor's cap. Yes. He still has his full face mask, which we haven't really mentioned before, which. His eyes can be seen through, but the rest of his face is obscured. 
his sailor cap has kind of got a sportsmaster kind of logo on it. It seems to have sort of is that a hockey stick? It's on it. It's really not very clear in yeah. my in my original yeah, copy, it's unfortunately. A hockey stick and maybe a lacrosse stick or something. Like that. It looks like it's certainly like sporting equipment. It makes a kind of cross on his logo. So a uh, sportsmaster's taken off his purple fencing jacket now, and he's wearing a white shirt. He must have been sweating though. He must have had a really good deodorant. I hope. Let's considering. Let's think about this. So he's got his shirt on. On top of that, he had the you know the fencing paddy jacket, and then on top of that, he had the fisherman's. Outfit and then yeah. he, who knows how long he was standing inside the wax as the statue. Yeah. It's not comfortable. Exactly. And also, where yeah. did he keep that fishing rod and these skis? Yeah. There was a fishing um, basket too. Where did that come from? Yeah. yeah. He must have great levels of endurance. Yeah. For want of a better way of putting it. A master of dimensional transcendentalism. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. well. laughs> yes. So they're snuggled up in the, the cockpit of the boat and he says, It sure was a great day for us both and we got hitched up. It's a perfect partnership. I planned a spectacular capers. And I catch the costume heroes who try to interfere. Now I've nabbed the wildcat. I'm going to round up Starman and Black Canary for my superhero menagerie. The next panel, again, it's quite romantic almost as the boat speeds <laughs> yeah. along in a still lake or whatever it is mm-hmm. with the moon above them. And Sportsmaster continues, That sounds sweet to me, sugar. And I'm gunning for another special sports award. The prize golf bag of that rich old eccentric Moneybags Morrison. Okay, but first we have to gather up Wildcat. I left him caged on the United States, where I lured him by letting him think it was to be robbed. We have a slow dissolve then, and the caption for this panel says, At this moment, Starman stirs to find a vision of blonde loveliness bends above him. Starman's looking up at Black Canary, and he says, Black Canary, I asked myself earlier what you're doing here. Now I'm asking you. And I've been down and found out your connection with the Sportsmaster and the Huntress. Their stories are soon told. Then Starman's cosmic rod pulses as... And again silhouetted by the moon, Starman and Black Canary take off. Starman says, First thing we've got to do is get back and free Wildcat. Here, hold on. Canary takes his hand and she says, It's been good to be in action again with you so soon after our first team up against the Mist. And the little editor's note reminds us of Mastermind of Menaces in the previous issue of Raven the Bold, and indeed our earlier episode. So, slow dissolve on at the bottom of page 13, and the caption says, But when they arrive at the Pekin Observatory... The cage that Wildcat was in is empty. Starman says, He's gone, and not voluntarily, I bet. We have no way of finding out where they might have taken him. Or do we? It just occurred to me. And me too, Starman. Sportsmaster skis. He left them behind when he escaped with the Huntress. Over to the top of page 14. All night long beside the lake, two grim figures crouch, ignoring the wind whistling through the underbrush, intent only on the skis of their sports foe. Starman is kneeling down, Black Henry sitting on a log that's been felled. The moon is again in the background. Skis can be seen lying there, Starman says. Sportsmaster was too intent on escape to grab up his skis. And Canary says... He values them too much to abandon them. He'll be coming back for them. Then at dawn, the skis stir and suddenly take off into the air. And we see the two skis indeed flying off up into the sky. Canary says, Sportsmaster's bringing the skis to him. By remote control. Starman says, Where they go, we go, Black Canary. It's handout time again. Hold on. Like homing pigeons, the jet skis streak toward a heavily wooded area. This is a great panel because Starman must be strong as heck or maybe the, the cosmic rod is moving at a great speed because 
Canary looks very graceful. Basically, she her left hand is on Starman's right hand. He's projecting him forward with the cosmic rod on his left, and it just looks like they're, they're just flying along so easily. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of looks like a Peter Pan and Wendy if you think about it. Absolutely, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and indeed, it's like, like uh, Superman and Lois and Superman. Yeah, and it's iconic. So in the foreground mm-hmm. of the panel, the skis are sort of are flying downwards. They're obviously reaching the destination. And Canary says, "They're dropping down, but no sign of any hat out." Starman says, "It might be a clever camouflage job." And indeed, the caption for the next panel says, "Sure enough, when they drop lower, they see a great chalet nestled in among a stand of towering trees, hidden from overhead discovery." And Starman Black Canary, this is gorgeous actually. It's very yeah. well rendered by Murphy. It's beautiful. We can see the big house. It's you know much more than a chalet. There's lots of trees. It's beside some water because we can see the reflection of the house. The house actually looks pretty similar to the Miss House from the last session. Yeah, last, yeah. yeah. I suppose, yeah, I mean, it could have been designed, designed by the same architect who specialised in evil lair. Yes, I am the evil lair architect. <laughs> <laughs> specialised in villains' hideouts. Yes, I want that house, but with a green roof. <laughs> Starman says, "No sign of our quarry either." If I know them, they're probably on their way to another crime. But first, let's see if we can find Wildcat. Slow dissolve, they're obviously inside the building now, and Starman Black Canary descending a staircase. Ted is using the, the cosmic rod to light the way. The caption says, A quick search leads to a vast cellar where... It's a big row of cages, and in the far, we can see a selection of animals. That looks like a kangaroo. Could that be a giant pig? Could that be a gorilla? Or some kind of big cat in one of them? And indeed, there's another big cat in one of the cages, and it's Wildcat, and he says, Black Canary, Starman, wouldn't you know, my first case after coming out of retirement... And I not only botched the job, but I wound up a prisoner of the Huntress. Caption at the top of page 15 says, Gripping the bars of the cage, the two crime fighters release the lock and lift the door of Wildcat's cell. So the Huntress keeps all sorts of wild animals down here. Lucky they're behind bars. And Wildcat says, I overheard her say she's planning on adding you and Starman to her collection too. But, as the cell door is raised, the bars of the other cages are automatically raised as well. No! He didn't think that through. So, we see, the indeed, we get a better look now at the, the occupants of their cages. From left to right, there's a polar bear, there's a black panther by the looks of it, there's a, a gorilla, indeed a kangaroo, and it, it's a wild boar. And Canary says, That Huntress is a cutie. She gimmicked her cages so that if Wildcat freed himself, the wild animals would be released too. And Wildcat continues. Dooming Wildcat. Okay, fellow lawmen, let's start fighting. A kangaroo leaps through the air. Its paws ram with the kick of a Missouri mule into Wildcat's chest. This could be the most ridiculous panel we've had so far (laughs) in the podcast as the kangaroo is up on its tail and its hind legs thud into Wildcat's chest. Oof, must be rustier than I thought to let him get in the first blow. Great muscles flex and bulge. A body that is like a steel spring erupts in furious action as... And Ted is throwing a massive, powerful right punch right into the bread box (laughs) of of the kangaroo right above his pouch. And he's thinking... I'm still the same Ted Grand who was the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world before I retired. As a powerhouse left flashes in an overhand blow to KO the marsupial... A giant polar bear rises upward behind him. And indeed, in the foreground of the panel, we see Wildcat delivering the knockout blow with a giant sock sound effect. The kangaroo goes down like a sack of spuds. The polar bear rearing behind him. And Ted says, 
I still haven't lost my knockout punch. We move to the top of page 16. From behind, a great white furred paw slams into Wildcats. With a massive growl, we see the polar bear strike taking Ted down, who, is, who says, I'll show that arty beast I'm still able to take a punch. Without taking account, the ex-champ zooms back at his opponents. And we see Wildcat throwing a powerful left hook right into the kisser of the polar bear. <laughs> and he says, Brother Bear, you're a sucker for a left. And that's terrific, because look at the expression on that polar bear. He wasn't <laughs> expecting that. He was downright. Meanwhile, Starman has been rammed into the bars of a cell by the leap of a great black panther. Indeed, the panther's pounced on Starman. He falls back against the cage. Starman thinks, Got to cosmic rod him away from me. Caption for the next panel. From the cosmic rays that travel everywhere, he summons anti-gravitic power to lift the screeching feline high into the air. And Ted is now kneeling. He's fighting his cosmic rod and he's got the panther trapped in a bubble. He's lifting it up off the ground. Indeed, that's tremendous. And Starman says, Up you go, fella. And then the caption for the next panel says, As the panther crashes hard into the stone ceiling, a wild-eyed tusker thunders from the shadows. I feel sorry for the panther because there's a massive thump. We see it battering off the ceiling indeed. Cruelty to animals. And the boar is entering stage left, hurtling towards Starman, who says, That boar thinks he's a clear shot at me. And the caption for the next panel. Drawing an errant moonbeam through a barred window, the Rod Ranger converts it into a cage before the onrushing animal. Now hang on. Right, for a start, I'm still laughing at the Rod Ranger. <laughs> Drawing an errant moonbeam, right, the panel shows a little, little sort of line coming in the window, striking the Cosmic Rod, and then there's some more energy coming from the Cosmic Rod, and it's obvious that Ted has now used this energy via the Cosmic Rod to generate a, a cage which has trapped the boar. And frankly, I think that's pushing it. <laughs> I really do. But anyway, Starman says, Come on in, my cagey friend. Terrific. So we moved to the top of page 17. And oh my God, if you thought Wildcat fighting a kangaroo was good, <laughs> you're in for a treat now, viewers. The caption says, Black Canary is dwarfed by a great gorilla reaching for her with powerful hands. Yeah, and as the gorilla is standing, it's really tall, massive. It's reaching down for Canary who thinks... My only way out is to come to grips with the big ape. In sheer strength, the girl gladiatrix is no match for her anthropoid foe, but she possesses the quick wits and intelligence of the human being. Black Canary is grabbing the gorilla by the wrist in the arm and she thinks, I've got to turn his own great strength against it, jitto fashion. Terrific. And then she basically flips the gorilla over her shoulder. The caption says, she nimbly slips beneath the awesome beast and heaves upward in a sayonage. And as the gorilla flips over Black Canary's shoulder, she thinks, This shoulder toss is based on a theory of the greatest energy with the least effort. As she suddenly straightens up, the gorilla goes flying back into its cage. Off he goes, whoosh, and Canary says, And away he goes. So I'm guessing that means sonionage means shoulder toss. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, judo terminology. Yeah. Um, fun fact, I actually had to do that type of judo toss uh, when I was in media making films. It's much easier to learn than it looks. Wow, yeah. right. You'll be the gorilla. <laughs> yes, that's what I was yeah. going to suggest. We're going to have to do that, obviously, and put it up on, onto the, the social. Yeah. Yeah, we're a multimedia extra of um, 
Amy de demonstrating a judo throw. Good grief, she'll hit you with a, a soy nage, and that, that's the worst thing that could happen. So now we're over the page to the top of page 18, and the caption says, Next moment, Starman activates the moonlight into tongues of flame, before which the other beasts slink back into their cages. It's a great panel. Starman with Canadian Wildcat, he's casting the rod in front of him. This big burst of flame, we see the polar bear, what looks like a tiger, who wasn't there earlier on. <laughs> And, and the lion, lion. yeah, it yeah. yeah, wasn't there earlier on, and the kangaroo and the boar all slinking back into their cages, looking very sorry for themselves. I'm liking the use of the cosmic rod having these abilities. It's you know because we, for all the stuff that, that we're used to about harnessing the power of the stars, mm. it's nice that there seems to be some genuine sort of scientific reaction involved, and it's like right, okay, I can use moonlight and I can convert it. Sure, you know the cosmic converter rod and all that sort of mm. stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying that. So anyway. Starman, as he's casting this big burst of flames, says, As soon as they're all behind bars, slam those cell doors shut. Now, it's a slow dissolve. This is hilarious, I can't lie. The caption for the next panel on page 18 says, Meanwhile, miles away, Sportsmaster and Huntress are stepping onto a putting green, completely surrounded by trees bordering a golf fairway. And it looks like the Sportsmaster's, you know, treading very delicately. Yes. It's almost like he's prancing. You, you yeah. do when you're on the fairway. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Apparently. The waste of a good walk. <laughs> a wise man once said, which is blasphemy because my grandpa wouldn't got trophies for his golf. Anyway, Sportsmaster says, No newfangled golfing attire for me. I like these old-fashioned plus fours when I go golfing. And Huntress says, Good hunting for both of us. The money field golf bag for you. Starman and Black Canary for me. As the athletic arch-criminal trips a secret switch in the putting green, it rises into the air. Do you think those two crime busters will show up here to try and capture us? Of course, husband dear. We planned it that way. Let's just talk about how surreal it is to show <laughs> this putting green mm -hmm. lifting up into the air. You know, in our preparation for this, we admitted to each other we thought this was a little pedestrian <laughs> compared to the previous issue of Brave and Bold and some of the other mm -hmm. stuff we've done recently, but come on. It's, you know, it's, it's very bonkers. Yeah, they're fighting, they're fighting animals and there's flying putting greens. Mm -hmm. That's new. Mm -hmm. I've not had that before. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this chapter winds up with a close-up panel of the Huntress. She says... By now they would follow your skis to the chalet in attempt to free Wildcat. They'll have been delayed by my trained animals. After that, Wildcat would have tipped them off where we've gone, which I conveniently let them over here. Once I captured them, it'll be a snap to recapture Wildcat. And the caption says, story continues on the fourth page following. Now it's worth pointing out that the bottom third of story page 18 is rounded out with an advert for issue 40 of Green Lantern, which we've covered comparatively recently in the podcast mm -hmm. and there's an issue that flashed in the printing isn't very clear Pizzi which one's that? That's 156. Thank you Pizzi. Tremendous. Right so the opposite page is a subscription advert there's a text page after that there's an advert for some magnets and model ships and then we are into the, the big, big superhero, superhero hunt part three and the page is dominated by a very large panel of Sportsmaster and Huntress on their flying putting green. Yes they're flying putting green. Fantastic. And the, ca the caption says, Upward across the fairways of the Federal City Country Club soars that marvel of aerial locomotion, the Sportsmaster's Flying Putting Green. <laughs> oh my goodness. But on its springy turf, the athletic arch criminal tees off with a driver, not a putter, 
As he says, golf ball after golf ball soaring out across the fairways and the greens on his never-ending quest for loot. And this is a beautiful Murphy Anderson panel. The Huntress looks the best she's ever looked as she stands holding the bag with the golf clubs. I suppose she must be caddying. There's a flag and a hole behind her and all that. The sportsmaster is striking away or golfing away, whatever it is. And he's driving. He's he's driving. driving. Thank you. Anyway, so sportsmaster says, I'll get rid of the players in the golf tournament with my perfectly placed shots. The Huntress says, Ready with your number two iron deal. We're getting so close now that a driver isn't a proper club. As the golf balls rocket off that perch, the greens and fairways become covered with fallen players and caddies. This is great. The putting green is the marvel of aerial locomotion. I'm struck by this, obviously. I can't get past it. The, the putting green is flying along, and then it's, it's been flying along, and it's leaving devastation in its wake, because what we see on the ground is about, there's a good seven or eight golfers and their, and their pals just lying stretched out with their clubs around them, obviously having been knocked out by the sportsmaster's golf balls. Can you imagine being knocked out by a golf ball? That's insane. That's knocked out if you're lucky. Yeah. Mm. And then we can see that the, the sportsmaster is striking one last player because we see the, the golf ball bouncing off his head in the far distance of the panel. And sportsmaster says, There, the coast is clear for me to grab the money. And Huntress says, Starman and the others ought to be along pretty soon now. Ahead of the Mr. and Mrs. Menace is the prize golf bag filled with $100,000 in cash. And we see an elderly gentleman sat at his desk while rising from his desk looking out the window and we can see indeed there's a golf bag hanging on a hook beside him with flipping great bodges of cash piling at the top of it and he can see from his window that the sportsmaster's flying putting green is zooming towards them and the elderly gentleman says... I've always insisted on paying the winner of my golf tony with cash, but now it looks as if a non-player is going to walk off with it. We move to the top of page 20. We're back with Wildcat, Black Canadian, Starman, and the caption says, Behind the sportsmaster and huntress in their chalet, a heated argument is going on. What? Me stay behind and guard the fort while you two go out and wrap up this case? Nothing doing. I want to go where the action is. But they may escape from us, or even capture us. Starman says, Then you'd be a surprise weapon, Wildcat, to clinch the fight in our favour. Our next panel will get a big close-up of Wildcat continuing talking to Starman, and he says, How about that? After I spilled everything to you, telling you when and where they're going to steal the money-filled golf bag, you leave me stranded here. Not stranded, on guard. And let's talk about Wildcat in that panel. Yeah, it looks it's very peculiar. It's, I mean, the top panel, it looks fine because it's sort of backside view and we can see the whiskers, mm. but it's, it's sort of square on uh-huh. and the, the mask just looks weird. I think it looks like the bottom half, like his jaw, his exposed jaw looks too big for the head that's inside the mask. Yes. And the eyes just look really startled. Yeah, I would agree with peculiar. that. If you, if you sort of use your finger to cover the bottom half of his, you know, we'll, anyway. we'll put this up in the social so you can see what we're talking it's about. Because it one. is, it's, it's a strange panel. Yeah. So, the three heroes have moved outside the chalet now. Starman is ready to go. Wildcat looks a bit huffy, and Canary says to him, Believe me, if we didn't have the utmost confidence in you, we wouldn't let you stay here to capture the Sparse Master and Huntress. And Wildcat says, Sure, only if they escape from you. Fat chance of that. And the caption for the next panel says, Starman and Black Canary soar skyward as Wildcat shouts his final say on the matter. Starman and Black Canary zoom off. This is another gorgeous panel. It must be said, it's beautiful. Look at look at Ted's face. 
And it's it's amazing. Yeah. The rendering is gorgeous. But anyway, they fly off into the air and an obviously disappointed and angry wildcat yells after them. All right, but I still say I'm being cheated, Starman's reply. The only cheating going on right now is at the country club where the sportsmaster is taking a prize that doesn't belong to him. And the sportsmaster leaps into the next panel, crossing the last panel actually, it's really, really nice. He's bearing the golf bag full of money. The caption says, Some minutes later, the sports star is casually breaking a world record in the long jump as... Got it. A hundred thousand prize money that should be mine anyhow, because I'm the world's greatest golfer. And Huntress says, To add to our triumph, here comes Starman and Black Canary towards our trap. The flying putting green takes to the air again. <laughs> Starman and Black Canary have arrived. Starman is releasing Black Canary, letting her drop to the ground. And Sportsmaster says he takes off his hat and throws it at Starman. Then we attack them as planned, starting with my brassy beanie at Starman. I'll wrap up Black Canary. A sunbeam forms a tennis racket for the Astral Avenger as... Fantastic. There's a bolt of energy coming out of the cosmic rod because Ted has obviously converted the sunlight into a tennis racket. That is amazing. And the brassy beanie of Sportsmaster bounces off the racket. Starman says, Trying the Goldfinger hat trick, eh? Okay, let's see how you handle my return. And that's the second James Bond film reference we've had. You know, in the podcast. In comics that are published in the same week. That's insane. <laughs> isn't it? That's crazy. Well, Bloody Delights wasn't a, a contemporary James Yeah, movie. but you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a coincidence, you know, because issue, issue 40 of Green Lantern and B&B 62 were um, published in the same week. We would have released them alphabetically, but our scheduling was against us, so that's why GL40 came out first. And there's a panel in that where Alan Scott takes down Hal Jordan, the possessed Alan Scott, we should say, takes yes. down Hal Jordan. And talks about having he's knocked the living daylights out of him. Yes. And in this one, we've got a mention of Goldfinger. That's outstanding. And of course, we had the mention of Goldfinger in the letters page of that issue that dealt with Superman and his three super enemies. Remind me. Uh, it's the one where, remember, <clears> it was uh, one of the, I can't remember which one of the, the gods had the Midas power, but they never actually used it. Of course, yeah, because we talked about how, the, how it was odd that these gods had all these powers that we didn't really associate with them previously. Mm-hmm. I remember that part, yeah. yeah. And they mentioned that one of them had a Midas power, but then someone called out in the letters page saying, why was this not used? You said they had a Midas power, why did it not work? And uh, the cheeky editor said, oh, he'd lent his power, he'd lent his Midas power <laughs> to Goldfinger. Amazing. The great DC multiverse James Bond crossover that you never knew existed, listeners. <laughs> so the caption for panel three on page 21 says, The sports a stuck's just in time to avoid an overhead explosion. Of course, because Starman, if you can remember that far back, has knocked back the, the brassy beanie with his sunbeam-generated tennis racket. Outstanding. The beanie explodes as the Sportsmaster makes a grab for the golf flag and Sportsmaster says, Nice play, Starman, but I'm switching games with this cup pole. The next panel, this is very reminiscent of the layout of the cover, actually. Mm-hmm. Sportsmaster hurls the, the pole at Starman, thinking, here's where this disguised guided missile makes a fall guy out of Starman. And Starman thinks, the way Sportsmaster keeps bombarding me with his weapons is as if he's trying to manoeuvre me toward Black Canary. Just looking at this uh, flying green there, there doesn't seem to be any anti-gravity fields going on. It looks yeah, like it's just... There's no, there's no sign of any obvious propulsion. No, I yeah. mean, the underside of it's just shady, so you can't see the end. I wonder if, I wonder if um, Sportsmaster appropriated any of the Starman of 1951's technology. Did he knock him? You know, did he knock it all off? Maybe he pops over to Earth One and pinched uh, Kronos's flying sundial technology. 
possible. Who knows? It's possible. Maybe it's just flying to the sheer power of golf. <laughs> the bottom foreground of this panel shows Huntress. Sort of looks like she's running away from Black Canary, and there's a tiny little sign that says 200 yards. I'm not sure what that refers to. It's it might be a golfing system. The ruin of a good walk. So we move to the top of page 22. Just below him, the Huntress has lured the girl gladiator into a cunningly hidden trap. Yes, as Huntress is running forward, Black Canary has stepped onto a bit of obviously fake grass which was covering a hole in the ground. Canary falls into the ground, exclaiming, Oh! And then the Huntress says, I catch wild animals and such peace, Black Canary, but I have a bit of prison prepared for you. Turning about, the jungle Amazon leaps over the Black Canary, grasping her wrists. And as the Huntress leaps over Canary, she thinks to herself, Now to coordinate my movements with those of my mate, and trap them both. Caption for the next panel. The weight of the Huntress' flying body and her superb muscles lift her victim out of the pits. And Huntress has flips herself over Canary, and as she moves, she's pulling Canary out behind her. Huntress thinks, A well-timed flip when Black Canary will be in a trap position. Chased along by the guided missile, Starman sizes up the situation. Yell is simultaneous action. Now, Sportsmaster is still on the flying putting green. The guided missile, that is the golf flag, is coming down towards him in the foreground of the panel. Huntress is flipping Canary over her, and Starman is thinking... The teamwork of Sportsmaster and Huntress is aimed at getting me and Black Canary underneath the golf green. It all adds up to an unseen trap. Caption for the next inset panel says... Suddenly, the cosmic rod pulses. Close up of the cosmic rod and Starman thinks... I'll have to do some golfing of my own to blast out of that trap, wherever and whatever it may be. Over the page to page 23, skipping past an advert for a Batman and Superman 80-page giant. And with the top page 23, and the caption says... Shafts of sunlight dig deep into the golf fairway. They lift three divots upward, sideways and backward. Starman is pulling a fantastic bit of cosmic rod jiggery-pokery here. Um, he's casting it with a beam, and one of the divots is lifting Black Canary up from her downwards plunge after being flung by the Huntress. And this prompts Canary to say, Thanks, Starman. That slowed my progress just enough. And the other two are flying back towards Sportsmaster on top of the flying putting green, and he says, Huh? Starman bunkered and sand trapped me. Caption for the next panel. Black Canary drops down on the startled Huntress. This is another excellent Murphy panel. There haven't been quite as many sort of excellent Murphy panels as, as we've got used to. This is mm. the Huntress, this is the point of view of just behind Black Canary. She flies down towards the Huntress, the Huntress looking a bit scared. Canary reaching out for her. Canary thinks, Starman and I have tumbled into the fact that the fine putty green is supposed to trap us in some way. Her hands grip and lift. So instead of me getting under it, the Huntress will take my place. Canary has landed, grabbed the Huntress round the waist, lifted her up and flung her underneath the flying putting green. And on top of the putting green, we see the Sportsmaster being hit by one of the divots. The caption says, indeed... Just as the flying divot sweeps the sportsmaster off his feet. The flying divot is a questionable pub in Camden. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. It's mentioned that it gets a name check in a menswear B-side. Mm -hmm. And sportsmaster, as he gets flung back to the divot, says, huh, The least Starman could have done before hitting me is called out four. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gardner's having a lot of fun with this. He is. This is tremendous. Mm -hmm. This is really enjoyable. Um, and the, the caption for the last panel on page 23 says... Right into the fist of Starman. Indeed. 
And Starman punches out the sportsmaster. Ted thinks, Under that flying green must be some sort of cage or trap to be activated from on top. And simultaneous action going on as Ted strikes sportsmaster. We see the Huntress also flying in from the other side of the panel as she's been flung in by Canary. And we're over the page to the top of page 24. And the caption for the first panel says, As the third flying divot hits the guided missile blowing it sky high, Starman leaps onto the flying green. Indeed, in the background there's a massive... Blam! As the divot and the golf pole collide, Starman alights onto the putting green. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that out loud when I was reading the James Robinson series back in the day. And Starman is thinking, There must be some contraption here that will imprison anyone below. I can't waste time hunting for it. I'll use the cosmic powers of my rod to activate it. Well, that's handy. Caption for the next panel says, As the flying bodies of the Huntress and Sportsmaster crash together, steel bars drop from the flying green, pinning them securely. There's a lot going on in this panel. Ted is now standing on the putting green. He's gesturing with the rod. Some energy's coming from it, striking the putting green, which presumably is overriding its systems. The steel bars are flying down. There's a massive clunk sound effect, and we see the Huntress and Sportsmaster still under momentum from being hurled by the heroes in the previous page, colliding with a massive clunk. Canary says, Got them both. And our closing caption for the last panel says, After the villainous duo has been taken to police headquarters, the stolen Parker trophy is returned to the sportsman's show, where it is presented by Ted Wildcat Grant, as Dinah Drake Lance and Ted Knight look on. And we see a suited and booted Wildcat handing the, the trophy to another man in a tux. We don't know who he is, sadly, and the audience are politely clapping. And as the, as the audience politely clap, Dinah Lance says, It's too bad the sportsmaster prefers to use his great athletic skills to commit crimes. And Ted Knight replies, Yes, for otherwise he might very well have won that Parker trophy illegally. All he'll win now is a long jail term. The, the end. end. Well, well, I don't think I've changed my mind about a comic before we perform, we've <laughs> read it than, as, as much as, oh, probably since Justice League of America issue 38. Not true. All those weeks, <laughs> all those weeks ago. <laughs> that was a laugh, wasn't it? That was a riot. There's a lot to talk about there, but um, it was all daft nonsense. Literally all Silver Age silliness in its glory. It's almost like... If you had the Batman TV series with a budget, you'd be getting this. Yes. Yeah. 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 The Batman series hadn't started yet, had it? No. Yeah. No, it was in some development at that point. Um, stage. But it's very much obviously the zeitgeist, the feel yeah. of it. I mean, yeah. it's it's a real contrast from the from the last one, which is quite yeah. You know, the last Starman and Black Canary story, which mm-hmm. was you know a few weeks ago now, obviously. Although that did have talking flowers. Yeah. Fair enough. You cannot take seriously that panel where the the flying putting green is coasting along. And all the guys are just lying unconscious on the ground, or worse. And the one got the monks in the head right in the background. Yeah. I mean, it's, mid-fall. It's, yeah. it's so very silly. And just the idea of this couple that just cruise around having fun, committing crimes using sport type yeah. stuff. You and know? that's it. They're yeah. obviously independently wealthy. They don't need to commit crimes. They're doing this for the fun. Yeah. It's literally, let's, let's cause some mischief. I'm the best in the world at sports. I don't need to prove it. You know, deserve it. Do you know what? See, Sportsmaster, he reminds me of... Do you remember an issue of The Flash in the early 80s where Mirror Master enters a disco dancing competition? Oh my goodness. 
Uh, it's, it's very much like that because he goes out and he throws all these wild disco moves and the, <laughs> the crowd go wild. Amazing. And they say, "Oh, he should. He's great. He should. He should win." And he can't be bothered waiting to you know to get the trophy. So he says, "Yeah, I'm obviously the best dancer, so I'll just steal the trophy. Thanks." <laughs> Steals it and goes through a mirror. It's insane. Wow. It's obviously it's the early eighties. It's past the era of disco. Yeah. But that's prime time <laughs> for comics to get in on such a thing. Amazing. And, but Sportsmaster completely reminds me of that because he is someone who is so capable. He can, he's a master of all the sports obviously physically fit quite intelligent to put together you know things like a flying button uh, so, or at least to be able to pay for that he, he does all that but you know he's too lazy to actually play the sport he just goes out and does a wee bit of whatever he wants want, for the action and adventure I wonder if he's like Mr Terrific in that way that he has the, oh, the natural yes. just sort of affinity and ability just to to do any kind of sporting type thing that's an excellent comparison I wonder if they were fought they probably didn't that can, that can no but that, be, that would have been an excellent issue yeah. yeah that's what we should have had in Blooming All-Star Squads and we should have missed terrific versus the Sportsmaster that would have been incredible and basically competing against each other <laughs> that would have been terrific wouldn't it <laughs> it doesn't look like he's just good at sport uh, he did make wax figures that yeah. they said were very lifelike he could at arts and crafts Oh yeah. yeah, he is another man of a thousand talents. He, then, he, he made them. He didn't say you know he paid for someone to make them. So yeah, yeah and he made them trapped with uh, bowling balls and tennis. How balls. did he, how did he get the wax on himself when he was in there? I I because IDK girl He was already wearing you know about yeah. eight layers at the and time. Had a fishing rod. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and stuck his fishing rod somewhere. It's baffling, baffling. But yes, he is not someone to be to be messed with. He's not just a guy with a baseball bat as you normally think of. Yeah, in sports and stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. One thing I want to mention quickly is superhero versus a gorilla is quite mm-hmm. common. So not quite a trope, but gorillas did pop up. And I'm amazed it's not in the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They should be all three of them fighting the animals. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not a quote from someone that said one of the, the editors from the time that said something yeah. like. If they put flames or gorillas or diamonds on a cover, mm. it would always sell better. So the ideal mm. cover would have been a combination of all three. I think that might have been Julie Schwartz. There's so many, because I can think of issues of Strange Adventures with gorillas with wings, and mm. there's a gorilla witch, and gorillas mm. in court. But all, all that stuff in the middle was crazy. I mean, this is so different to B&B 61. I mean, you got a bit more variety for your buck this time, I think. Yeah. I'd just like to point out for our listeners, no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. (laughs) Sadly, there's no reader reaction for this story. We don't have a letters page referring to this. So we can't tell you what people were thinking of at the time. Obviously, this is the second and final team up with Starman and Black Canary. But they do pair up in a future Justice League, Justice Society crossover, way in the future, in the 80s, which also is a semi-sequel to... The JLA 37 38, yes. When uh, the Earth One Johnny Thunder spoilers returns. And of course, the Starman and Black Canadian relationship, again, also referred to, as we mentioned before, in the James Robinson Tony Harris Starman. Yes. When it was not even suggested, when it was, we were told that you know the relationship developed. <laughs> there you Leave go. it at that. Okay. Yes. So, in the absence of a letters page in this issue, there is a text page which probably a sequel to the one we got in DB 61, which tells us of the, the origins of Wildcat, the Huntress, and the Sportsmaster. Right, so this might actually recap some of the stuff that we said earlier on, but not to worry. When his son Ted was born, Henry Grant resolved that the boy would be developed into a superb physical specimen. Ted was coached in all sports from infancy, but he particularly excelled in boxing. Ted wanted to study medicine, but this hope died when his parents passed away. His father had not been very provident, and the money from his insurance barely covered his debts. One day, while looking for work, Ted Grant spotted a hold-up in progress and waded into the two crooks with both fists. With the element of surprise on his side, he easily beat the hoodlums and discovered he had rescued Soccer Smith, heavyweight champion of the world. 
Smith gave him a job as a sparring partner and Ted quickly proved, so skilled with his fists, that soccer's managers signed him as a pro. Soon Ted had worked his way up to become the top-ranked contender for Smith's title. The managers figured that if Ted won the crown, they could make plenty of money in a rematch. So to make sure he did win, they drugged soccer. However, they accidentally administered an overdose and Smith fell dead in the ring. Ted was the number one suspect in the killing. Hearing a boy talk about the costume crime-fighting career of his hero, the original Green Lantern, inspired Ted to adopt the identity of Wildcat in order to clear his name and bring his friend's killers to justice. How he did this was told in the very first Wildcat story, which appeared in Sensation Comics No. 1, January 1942. In the following issue, Ted Grant fought for and won the title vacated by the death of Soccer Smith. He also resumed his anti-crime crusade as Wildcat, appearing in the first 90 issues of Sensation, the last being the June 1949 issue. That's obviously cover dates. Wildcat worked twice with the Justice Society of America. The first occasion was after Starman and Spectre had left the active membership roles of that illustrious organisation, Wildcat and Mr. Terrific filled in briefly in All-Star Comics number 24 until Green Lantern and The Flash, who had for some time been inactive honorary members, returned to the active roster. Later on, Wildcat substituted for the Atom, a place in the world, in All-Star Comics number 27. And that's drawing a very neat veil over the, the disagreements between the All-American and National that take yes. place at that point. Wildcat battled many villains during his career, but none more formidable than the Huntress. This is basically what I was saying at the start, isn't it? He first met her in Sensation number 68. A mysterious person called the Masked Marvel had challenged Wildcat to a boxing match. Imagine his chagrin when he discovered his opponent was a woman. Of course, he could not hit her, and while he tried to find a way out of this dilemma, he was plunged into a worse one. As the arena lights went out and he was slugged, he woke up in the Huntress's private zoo. Her idea of sport was to hunt law enforcement officials. However... Her career was abruptly ended for a while at least, when Wildcat escaped from his cage and trapped her. She soon pulled an escape of her own and returned to battle her nemesis again, one of many such battles. That's interesting. That kind of alludes to what we saw over in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, she caught him and trapped him and all yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's about the hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. Sports so, um, is about the sport. Huntress is about the hunt. Fantastic. All the clues were there. And now let's look at another villain. Crusher Croc was a superb athlete. But he didn't know the meaning of fair play. Well, there, oh, oh, wow, <laughs> that is absolutely you know making a reference to uh, yes. Mr. Terrific's uh, catchphrase and credo. Yeah. Eventually, his foul tactics got him barred from sports. The embittered croc turned criminal, but found stiff opposition in the form of the original Green Lantern. Crusher was apparently killed and buried, but he had only faked his death and was soon back as the sportsmaster. Crusher's first duel with the Emerald Crusader appeared in All-American Comics number 85. He became the Sportsmaster in Green Lantern number 28 and was back for a third contest in All-American number 98. The Sportsmaster and the Huntress met when they were both invited to join the Wizard's new Injustice Society, his earlier organisation having been broken up by the members of the Justice Society. Also included in this criminal combine were the Icicle, the Fiddler and the Harlequin. However, there was one traitor in the group. The Harlequin was secretly a police undercover agent, whose villainous pose even fooled Green Lantern. Although the Injustice Society managed to defeat all the regular JSA members, the Harlequin contacted Black Canary, and the two costume girls smashed the plots of the wizard and his criminal cohorts. 
It was this adventure that won for Black Canary a membership in the Justice Society of America, where she fought evildoers alongside Green Lantern, The Flash, Hawkman, Doctor Midnight, The Atom and Wonder Woman. That's the case of the patriotic crimes from All Star number 41. More than one life had been changed by this case though. The Huntress and the Sportsmaster had fallen in love and decided when they got out of prison to make their team up permanent. So it is that they appear in this magazine for the first time as Mr and Mrs Menace. Yeah, if you have a table reservation, oh, who's it for, sir? Mr. and Mrs. Menace. Oh, that's fine. Just Excellent. walk this way. If we walk that way, we'd be coming to your restaurant. <laughs> I'm I'm stunned at the fact that, you know, literally, when Pete and I were talking about this the other day before mm. we recorded it, we described it as a bit pedestrian. Because we're obviously just in a quick casual flick through before uh-huh. we recorded but it. But when you relive it, it's when just you, Yeah, when you go through it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, uh-huh. there's some... Some gorgeous Murphy Anderson artwork, not quite as many jaw-dropping panels as we've become used to, but True. when you read back through, I mean, it's very fluid. Yeah. It's obviously all happening very quickly, probably faster than we could tell it. So is Ellen's phenomenal as yeah. ever, and there are all some great set pieces, and he does love that full moon. Yeah. The, fin- the final fight scene there was, was absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, he was using different perspectives for some of the panels, and it was gorgeous. It really was. And then, of course, the animal fight. Mental. Can you imagine being Murphy Anderson sitting in your house, and get through the post, uh, Gartner's script, <laughs> you, you open up, it goes, right, animals, okay, that's fine. Over the page, what's your flying skis? That's fine. We've got to see the hideout. Flying putting... Wait, 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 hang on, what did I miss? Flying putting green? What? Yeah. Do do any of us know anyone who's a member of a golf club? Uh, no, but my grandparents live on one. Interesting. Yeah, and okay. um, any time I've been there, I've never saw a flying putting green. No, no, no. Oh, it'd be quite good if we could arrange a sort of team publicity photograph. If standing on it, standing at a putting green. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all in our very in costume as our various GSA members. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? Anyway. It's cool that Black Canary didn't use any weapons this time. She used hand-to-hand yeah. judo, mm-hmm. especially on that gorilla. And yeah, yeah. yeah amazing. Sure. Yeah, because obviously, you know, last time she was flying about with a mini cosmic rod, but this time yeah. it was all. And she had like the equipment in her necklace hanglet thing. Yeah, that seemed to come out of nowhere. It was almost like a mini utility belt. But yeah, there's no mention of that at all this time. And when... she clearly goes to the gym because she picked up Sportsmaster and tossed him about <laughs> yeah. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she must have the core strength of one of the professional dancers from Strictly Come Dancing. I think she's much more like herself in this story, you know, mm-hmm. using her yeah, own strength and definitely, scale and her wit definitely. rather than borrowing Ted's gadgets or whatever. So no, it was yeah. good. I mean, I think Wildcat probably, apart from his fight with the, the kangaroo, probably got a better short yeah. shift, if that's the, or shift if that's the word, but he's going to be in next year's JLAJC mm. team up, so hopefully he'll get a bit more to do in that one. Again, this is very similar to the uh, Doctor Fate and Our Man story, and that they had Alan Scott Green Lantern guest yeah. on, and you've got Wildcat guest on here. Obviously, they've got kind of like a bit of a formula that they're trying out new characters, seeing you know what the public reaction's like. Yeah, and as we know, I suppose the response to Wildcat must have been very positive because mm-hmm. he's, along with the Spectre, he's probably the most high profile for the next few years because out yeah. with. The JLAJC team ups. We see him an awful lot. We see him in issues of Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. He guest stars in an issue of the Spectre, yep. which I'm really looking forward to us doing. Mm-hmm. And as and as we said earlier on, he's he's visible throughout the rest of the Bronze Age. You know, we do see quite a lot of him. Yeah, I would say he's quite a likable character. He's just kind of in there dodging and going away at. It. Yeah, he's very kind of working class hero kind of. You know, mm-hmm. two fists and you know a good heart and that's it. Yeah. That's... I would say he is the what if Batman if Batman wasn't rich. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Perfect. Really good way to put it. One thing that 
I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's interesting on that text page when it talks about Wildcat's training because there will be a story when we get to All Star Squadron mm-hmm. where um, Wildcat and a couple of other similar sort of non-powered heroes we discover a sort of common link between them. In a very Roy Thomas moment. A very Roy Thomas moment. Yes. One of the very Roy Thomas moments that don't irritate me. <laughs> You'll have to stay tuned for that, folks. Yes, way in the future, but you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. yeah. There is another resemblance between him and Batman too. I just noticed he was going to be become a doctor and was not, you know, he would have become a doctor with his father perhaps. That's, yeah, yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Thomas Wayne was yeah. a doctor. That's true. Yeah. I wonder if any of this will be picked up on when we do the Batman Wildcat Raven Bold issues. There's a few of them, there's about four or five, isn't there? Yeah, huh? I haven't read them in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to getting the, stuck into them, but yes. yeah. Interesting, that's a good point, I mean, definitely, mm-hmm. to be honest. So that's what we thought about the story. What did you think about the story? Did you have as much fun with it as we had reading it? Please let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on our social media because we'll be putting up some select highlights from this. And you do not want to miss the flying putting green. Follow us on Facebook. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast there. And the same handle on Instagram. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. So yeah, check out the Instagram and the Facebooks because we're going to stick up a gallery of later Black Canary cover appearances. We'll stick up a cover gallery for Wildcat as well so you can see a bit more of, of him from later in his career. Mm-hmm. And as well as, you know, the panel highlights and whatever else I can conjure up, <laughs> <laughs> basically. So that's been us this week. I've been Peter. I've been Amy. And I've been David. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. And indeed, the foreground of the panels are the great sock sound effect as Wildcat punches the canoe. Of- <laughs> 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 Why am I saying that? Good grief. Right, that's your outtake, Pete. <laughs> right.